I ran across an article, um, and the it's a journalist, and he um, found himself what he called uncomfortably covetous every time he read a glossy magazine. And so what he did, he decided to do a little bit of research. And so he got that like 10 spectrum of 10 different glossy magazines. And one of them was Vogue and one of them was real simple. These were kind of the extremes of the 10. But he, he, he uh, did an analysis on how much it would cost if you were to purchase every one of the products that they reviewed. And so it wasn't like, not the advertisements, just the products that they were reviewed that list the price. And so if you were to buy everything in this single issue of Vogue magazine, it would have been $343,000. So that was at the top of the list of this sampling and the, the real simple magazine. So you know they're trying to promote the simple life, not having a lot of things, not having a lot of things that consume your time or focus or energy. In the Real Simple magazine, if you would have bought everything in that single episode, it would have been $16,000. And at the end of the study, the journalist, who again, he felt uncomfortably covetous when he would read these magazines, he said, I used to read magazines, and I would find myself coveting the products they promote in a totally silly and impractical way. They're very oriented around stuff, he says. And the strong suggestion that buying a bunch of stuff will make you into a certain sort of person. Waking up early to go running every day is hard. Buying a bunch of running gear is easy. And I thought that 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 article really reflected our experience and it it certainly demonstrates that advertisers uh, play uh, on an old aspect, an old characteristic of humanity. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden with the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which was something to consume, which was something to eat. And so the serpent, uh, you know, told these lies to Eve. And the text says that Eve saw that this that this fruit was good for food, which is it brings satisfaction. It fills up. It was a delight to the eyes, so it was beautiful to look at, and so there's beauty associated with it, and it would make one wise, or it would make us smart, and so satisfaction and beauty and smarts, that's what the, that's what the serpent uh, promised, and that's what, this, that what, what Eve felt like, if I had that, I would become those things. It's a strong suggestion that buying a bunch of stuff or consuming these things will transform you and make you a different type of person. And so as we look into this wisdom that Solomon gives in Ecclesiastes on money and possessions, we have to ask ourselves the question, why is this draw so strong? Why did Eve have it and Adam, who was with her? Uh, This reporter feels it. We sense it. What What is missing about our sense of identity? What is missing about our sense of satisfaction? If, if we see these things and by thinking, you know, if I had that, I would become a different type of person. It, it's, it's reflecting that we're not content. I don't like who I am. And I'm not fulfilled. I'm not satisfied. So Solomon saw these things because, again, it, th- this 
experience that we have as human beings that when we see something we want it thinking that it's going to bring some satisfaction and fullness again these this dynamic has been with humanity since the beginning of time well solomon observed these things but he also observed a solution he also observed people that had overcome this this pull and I want to make a few, just a few points out here about, particularly wisdom literature, but Ecclesiastes, because he says, I observe, I observe, I observe. Wisdom literature is not theory. It's primarily built out of real experience, either the, either the real experience of the author or whoever is speaking it, or the real experiences of others that are observed. And so this isn't just theory. This is what he says, hey, here's what has happened in real life. And it's important that we understand that because these things have been tried, these things have been experienced, both the negative and, and the positive. And so it, I think it presses us to listen a little bit more carefully because it's not just somebody's philosophy or theory. It actually works in real life. And so let's look at what Solomon's observations were. The first one, lovers of money and lovers of wealth are never satisfied. That's his first real big observation. And there's three concepts here that I want us to really kind of dig in a little bit here as we explore these ideas. What does it mean to love? Literally, the, the definition of the term that's used in, in the original language is a breathing heavy. And when I read that, I, in my mind, pictured um, our dog, Titus. He, he died a few months ago, so we're still kind of sad about that. But if you were eating, he would come up and just sit beside you, looking at you and your plate, and he would start breathing heavy, and the drool would start coming down his mouth. He's a bulldog, and so the drool was a very common thing for us uh, in the household. And, and so... That's what I pictured, and that's what we do. We see something that we want, and we start kind of panting, breathing heavy. Oh, this, this is it. This is going to bring some fulfillment. This is going to make me happy. This is going to fill me with joy. That's that word for love. It's an affection based upon a belief that this is going to do good to me. He also says that, that uh, in the second passage up there, that he says, better is something that we can see and have than the wandering appetite. And so what Solomon is, is observing are people, most people, that are never satisfied with what they have, and they're constantly striving to follow these wandering appetites that go from one thing to the next, breathing heavily to possess them. The second observation, excuse me, not second observation, the second idea here in this first concept is of lovers of money and lovers of wealth will never be satisfied. What is money and wealth? So money is the currency. It's the ability to buy something when we want it. And so it's just this ability to always have the capacity to meet the immediate needs to be immediately gratified. That's what money does, having money. Wealth is assets. It's the accumulation of money and property and things which gives us a sense of safety, a sense of security, a sense of longevity. And so money provides instant gratification. Assets provide security and safety. 
And so that's part of what we're also looking for in loving money and possessions. And the third idea is, is that of being satisfied. To be satisfied is to be full, is to be complete. There's no sense that you're lacking anything. You're content. There's no wandering appetites. There's no constantly searching for the next thing. There's no looking through magazines saying, oh, if I just had that. Or obviously Amazon or any of the other you know, it, it's, it's uh, you know, we were talking about this as a ministry team, and, and, and uh, a comment came up that, you know, people don't read magazines anymore. Actually, the publishing of magazines has grown with the growth of the Internet. They're just We just keep consuming and putting things in front of our eyes. So to be satisfied means that um, you're not wandering anymore. You feel complete. You feel whole. You don't feel like you need anything to be happy. Second, so again, that's the first observation. Lovers of money and lovers of wealth will never be satisfied. Their wandering appetites will guide them perpetually. The second observation is that people that love money and that people that love wealth will end up suffering. And it's a comprehensive suffering. And he mentions a number of things in the two passages that he observes happening to people who love money and wealth. The first thing is that they don't sleep well. And they don't sleep well for two reasons. One, uh, there's anxiety and fear around their money. They could be poor. You could be poor in loving money and wealth. Or you could be rich in loving money and wealth. But there's something about you that is not fulfilled, not complete, and that, that, that emptiness creates fear and anxiety, and that causes us not to sleep. The second reason why people that love money and love wealth uh, can't sleep well is because of gluttony. So there are, there's a category of the gluttonous rich person that's not satisfied that also eats too much. And so they don't sleep well because their stomach is full too late into the night, and so they can't get to sleep. The second way that they suffer is that they make foolish choices in their greediness and anxiety and fear and their love of money and wealth. They make foolish choices in several ways. First of all, they underspend. Okay, you can love money and underspend on what would bring you and your loved ones some joy and happiness. God has given things to human beings to enjoy. There are some people that are either afraid to enjoy, they don't think they should enjoy, or they don't want to let go of their money because they love the money, and what they get for the money is not going to bring as much enjoyment as the money itself. So we can underspend and make foolish choices, which brings harm to ourselves and to our families, or to others, or we can overspend because they finally have found something that they think is going to bring the fulfillment. So they spend too much money, which also then has consequences for their own well-being and their families and their other responsibilities. And this, this affects the current and future generations materially in terms of not enjoying the things that God has given, not having enough money, and spiritually in that it creates a climate and spirit within households, either greediness or selfishness and being stingy. Those, those kinds of things 
create dynamics within households that are unhealthy, and it's, it's suffering. And then he mentions the physical and mental health deteriorates. It brings about a, sp a spirit and a demeanor where it's just gloomy, and there, it's darkened. There's anxiety, there's fear, which he's also mentioned already that causes a lack of sleep. There's physical sickness. We become so worried and so anxious and so fearful that our bodies are affected by it. And then these things breed anger and malice, which obviously challenges our relationships. And then things just spiral down because hostilities and suffering and pain is experienced in the family and relationships and friendships. Now, so again, lovers of money will never be satisfied and lovers of money will suffer. And I think that we can all relate to these things because I think we would all have to admit that at some point, and it probably on a daily basis, we're all guilty of wandering appetites, of loving money, or of loving what money can buy. Jesus himself said that, the, that you cannot serve money and God at the same time, and that the love of money, not money, people often misquote this, the love of money, Jesus said, is the root of all evil. So it, it's actually the biggest competitor to sincere biblical faith, the love of money. Well, Solomon observed these problems, but he also had observations about how to overcome and he says, you know, it's this repeated refrain. Those who find their joy in work and in the food and in the drink that they have and who accept their lot. That's a new addition to this. Enjoy your work, enjoy your food, enjoy your drink, enjoy your family. These things are repeated. But in this passage, he says, and those who accept their lot or those who accept their portion. And there's this idea that whether you're rich or whether you're poor, God has given you a portion. And whether you're rich or rather, whether you're poor, you can be happy with the portion that God has given you. That's what Solomon has observed. And then he says that it is God who gives people the power to enjoy them. So without the power of God to bring enjoyment... Regardless of whether you're poor or whether you're rich, you will not find happiness, satisfaction in this life. And so we need to ask ourselves these questions. Again, he seems to point to, it's not, Solomon is very clear and simple. Enjoy your work, food, drink, family. It seems simple, but what is it that prevents us? What is it about our desires? What is it about our appetites that cause us to continue to wander, looking to some, at some point to be satisfied, to, to feel full, to feel complete, to feel whole as a human being? Well, Solomon's persistent answer is that we don't experience these things because God hasn't given us the ability to. If we're not experiencing them, God hasn't given us the ability to. So then we have to ask the question, well, why not? Why isn't God giving us this ability? And then, and then Solomon says, well, it's because you don't fear him and serve him. So you don't fear him and serve him. Well, why don't we do that? 
Because at some point, we, we don't actually believe that God is good, that God is going to do good for us, and that he will actually provide us happiness. The author of Hebrews says, if, if you come to God, you must believe two things. One, that he exists in the first place, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So, why then don't we believe? We keep asking ourselves these questions. And I think that what we can see here, and, and the book of Ecclesiastes doesn't go into this real deeply, but if we, if we recognize that it's something that God empowers people to do, to find joy and happiness in the basic things that he's provided for everyone, then it's, then it's, and it's a power that God has, and it's, this in, it's invisible because we have the food, we have the drink, we have work, so we've got the things, we've got the ingredients, but we don't have the power of God. So it has to be something of, of the Spirit. That power that comes from God is of the Spirit. And so it's a matter of flesh, the material things, and it's a matter of spirit, the things that we don't see, but within them, within it contains God's power. And so it's a recognition that at our core, we are spiritual beings. Happiness, contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment. These are things that only the Spirit of God in His power can provide for us. Material things cannot fulfill spiritual capacities. They just can't do it. God has created them for us to be happy and enjoy them but if, if the power of God in spirit isn't present, having the material things won't do it. So the spirit must be there. The spirit must be empowering. Now, we seem to recognize that things won't make us happy. The journalists acknowledged that and made an effort to stop looking at glossy magazines and stop buying the things that they promoted. Solomon has observed this. There are all kinds of books and articles and journals about the fact that things don't make us happy. But yet, generation after generation, culture after culture, we all still continue to follow our wandering desires, believing that having money and the things that they're going to buy is going to make us happy and fulfilled and complete. So we can recognize the problem, but we still don't change. We're not experiencing the power of God to enjoy these things and to feel satisfied. It's not just a matter of knowing. It's a matter of having the power. And so there are two spirits at work here that are causing us to either not believe that God exists and he's for our good and wants to make us happy. And there's a spirit that is at work trying to make us happy. That's the Spirit of God. There is a, a phrase in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, every human being is what he, call, he calls it. A, he calls us sons of disobedience. Basically, he's saying, listen, humanity is a bunch of people that have been running away from and disobeying God. They haven't feared God. They haven't strived to know him. They haven't strived to please him. 
Paul says that there is a spirit at work in the sons of disobedience. There is a spirit at work in this world that is driving people away from God. He calls him the prince of the power of the air. The Old Testament called him the serpent in the book of Genesis. In the book of Job, they call him Satan, which is another one of the books of wisdom literature. A lot of texts call him simply the devil. And so the devil is at work in all of humanity, deceiving them to believe that God is not good, He's not, and he does not want to make you happy, and he's only out to judge and condemn you. That is the spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience that deceives us, that deceives us. And he, his primary power is the work of deception. And as long as we're believing that, and we can believe that, you know, if, if we haven't believed in God and 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 become a Christian through Jesus Christ. Obviously, um, you're not going to experience the power of God, but even as a Christian, you can believe and have thoughts that aren't true, and you can follow lies, and it gives power to those, to those uh, impulses. And as long as we are, I mean, we can recognize that money's not gonna make me happy, we can recognize that having things and buying things is never going to make us happy, but acknowledging that and knowing that truth does not give us the power to be satisfied. So how do we experience God's power and not be influenced by the devils? Well, just again, some of the ideas out of Ephesians chapter 2. We have to acknowledge that we are dead. And in that death, we don't have the power to overcome the lies that are empowering us. He, Paul also calls this slavery to sin. We call it addiction. We know what we want to do, but we can't seem to get out of the cycles. Well, that's because we're dead. We're dead. And, and our sins have destroyed us. In our, our disobedience to God has destroyed us. Our not believing God has destroyed us. In fact, it's, it's a, um, we have loves that are disordered. Loves that are disordered. We love money and we don't love God. So we are seeing that something else is going to provide life other than God. That's in essence what, what sin is, disordered loves. So we have to acknowledge that we are dead without God and that we need and that we need God to be alive we need we need God to give us the joy of experiencing life when when Jesus came in John chapter John chapter 10 verse 9 he says I have come to bring life and life abundant that's joyful filling satisfying that's what Jesus and God has been always wanting to do and so God provided Jesus to die our death, to die our, he entered into death because that's where we were at. So he entered into, into death, but then God, through his spirit, rose him from the dead. And so the text says that through faith in Jesus Christ's death, that he 
participated in our death with. So he died with us. He died for us. If we believe that, and if we believe that Jesus Christ was then resurrected from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we believe that, then God gives his spirit to us. The spirit indwells us. That is the power of God. And then, then that Holy Spirit then raises us from the dead. And Paul says, he seats us, the Spirit seats us with Christ in the heavenly places, far above all rule and power and authority and dominion. Which means, because of being raised with Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, we now are in a place of power over the lies and deceptions of, of the devil. Those lies and deceptions that keep telling us, God doesn't want you to be happy, God is for your good, Having money and buying things is going to do it. We have the power to see it and the power to break free from, from it. We have the power to then enjoy God. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. We have, the, we have the power to enjoy God and gain our sense of meaning and fulfillment from Him who then gives us the ability to enjoy the things that He has put on this earth for us to enjoy. It's not a once-for-all thing from an experiential standpoint. Like I said, you know, if you come to the point of believing in Jesus Christ for the first time, you become a Christian, a spirit enters into you, and you feel that spirit's filling. But as Christians, we have to believe the truth and continue to renew our minds because we have, we, you know, we have, a, we have a body, we have a flesh, and it's been trained for years to follow these lies to try to be fulfilled through things that we can buy, things that we can possess by money and by wealth, and by assets. And so we as Christians, if you believe in the gospel, have to continue to renew our minds. These things are gonna make me happy. I'm gonna dwell in the presence of God. I'm gonna walk in the fear of him. I'm gonna renew my mind and he's gonna fill me with a sense of joy and satisfaction.